Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 16 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our first annual Profiles in Excellence Chief Technology Officer Program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss emerging technologies and innovation at numerous government agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Ron Butra, Chief Technology Officer, Department of Justice, Brian Campo, Acting Chief Technology Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Sanjay Gupta, Chief Technology Officer, Small Business Administration, Rob Brown, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Jonathan Alvum, Federal Chief Technology Officer at ServiceNow. Gary Hicks, Chief Technology Officer, Hitachi Vantara Federal. And Cal Barangante, Chief Fellow and Vice President at Equinix. Well, I, I would have to say back in the day as a CIO, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> While the CIO's organization is out there blocking and tackling and trying to deal with all the pliers and wires, uh, the CTO group was over there uh, doing some, some, some interesting stuff. A lot of times people didn't know what they were doing. Uh, and all of a sudden some cool stuff would pop out. And uh, you know, the reality is that has changed over time, hasn't it? You, the, 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 the CTO organization has tied themselves much closer to the strategic outcomes and initiatives uh, going on in the agency on a more sort of real-time basis, if you will. Ron, let me start with you and talk about uh, what is going on over the Department of Justice in regards to some strategic initiatives where you're taking some of this emerging technology and, uh, and, and, and looking at examining that and making sure it's going to align to meet those objectives. Um. First off, good afternoon, Luke, and, and honestly, it's uh, great to see you here. Um, there's been a lot that we've been doing over the past year in everything from looking at Max Telework to looking at cybersecurity, but let me, let me answer that question from a bit of a forward-looking point of view. Data remains critical, and I continue to advance our data strategy. We've matured our processes and also advanced our geospatial efforts by building on our geospatial data strategy. The department's released its AI strategy and I stood up its community of interest and also data center optimization, IT modernization, it all continues to fuel our transition to the cloud. There's obviously an additional push through the recent cyber EO. It pushes us to the cloud, uh, has us sharing threat intelligence, looking at zero trust architectures. We've been pursuing zero trust for over a year. So there's a lot of technologies that you have to look at to get there from EDRs, IDPs, alternative methods for identity management um, and zero trust brokers, of course. Uh, one thing I, I'm gonna note is, is obviously we've increased our IPv6 initiatives in response to the recent OMB memo. Uh, just this past week, we've had this great summit with over a thousand attendees. Uh, Clearly, industry and um, uh, the federal workforce remain engaged. And from an application perspective, I continue to be engaged in low-code, no-code, and database technologies. Thank you, Luke. Ron, I appreciate that. And uh, and by the way, nice work on that takedown that you all did uh, just recently. That was in the news. That was a pretty crafty uh, uh, craftsmanship there. 
Uh, Brian Campo over at Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I just want to recognize the, uh, uh, Ron, if you will, the, the zero trust play. A lot of people talk about that and they kind of get fixated on zero trust and they kind of forget about architecture. So good catch there. Brian, how about at Department of Homeland Security? You guys are cooking up a lot of stuff over there. I know you're trying to make sure that stuff stitches to strategically where you're going, new administration in, new direction. What's cooking? Hey, Luke. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so I think at DHS, we're, we're doing a lot of the same things, right? So as Ron mentioned, Zero Trust is certainly a prime candidate for uh, you know, all of our uh, new technology work. We're also focused on things like SecDevOps, uh, you know, looking at AI and ML. That's a huge um, aspect of what we're looking at now. Um, but I think one of the things I want to talk about is going back to your original point, like how are we getting that out to the mission? How are we using technology to really impact businesses and missions? Um, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of that we're doing uh, this year, we started late in uh, FY20, is our target architecture work and some of the way we're doing program governance. Um, what we're trying to do there is we're trying to get out ahead of technologies, starting to look at technologies. Uh, understanding how technologies can impact our business and mission, and really trying to do a lot of the hard legwork, going out and looking at those technologies, evaluating them, uh, looking at proofs of concept, and then really doing segment architectures to go and figure out where these can fit into uh, the different missions that we've got. The, the end result being that we're trying to figure out where we can get technology out to the mission faster, make it easier for programs to integrate the technology, and really looking at technology as uh, you know, core building blocks that programs can stitch together based off of their specific needs. And then the other idea is really getting into supporting the programs as they're doing this. So you know, again, doing the hard work, understanding the technologies and making them easier. Um, you know, the, the perfect examples of that are really zero trust and sec DevOps. We build out reference architectures, we build out, uh, you know, some reference implementations, giving our component partners a chance to kind of just plug them in where they fit. Um, and then sec DevOps building out monitoring and metrics, building out pipelines, um, you know, again, giving our, our programs a chance to integrate these technologies as quickly and easily as possible. Fantastic, right? Really laying the tracks down so those operating components can can come and uh, go, go, if you will. And we'll hear from one of them in just a minute. Sanjay, how about over at SBA? Uh, you all sort of had a, a double whammy over the last 18 months. Not only did you have to sort of roll over into a, uh, a, a remote response, uh, obviously SBA uh, had to uh, right in the middle of uh, enabling the economy of this great country. So, uh, Tell us about what you're doing over there, what you had been doing, and how that aligns to strategically where SBA is going. Uh, good afternoon, Luke, and uh, thank you uh, for having me here. Uh, and yes, uh, definitely, as uh, most all of you in the audience probably know, uh, SBA has been one of the core agencies uh, leading the response for the nation's largest ever economic recovery initiative. Uh, and it's just been an incredible last 15 months, and it continues, by the way. But let me kind of give some couple of specific examples of how some of the innovations that we had put in place uh, came to use to our mission. And some of those are still continuing to be developed further. So as you may remember, Luke, back in 2017, I led the cloud initiative for the SBA, led the solid foundation. And quite frankly, that has been immensely useful and beneficial for SBA to scale up uh, almost overnight in an exponential fashion. And just to sort of give a compare contrast, <clears throat> typical year SBA does 25 to $30 billion of loan and capital processing in the last uh, year plus now, uh, we have processed nearly $1 trillion in capital and that continues on. 
So you can sort of do the math and figure out what the exponential scaling we needed to uh, do overnight and cloud, quite frankly, had we not had established that cloud foundation back in 17 and the cybersecurity as well, I, I just shudder to think what, what the outcomes might have been. Um, secondly, we're also leveraging new capabilities that are enabled by that cloud foundation. So specifically uh, two or three areas, obviously cybersecurity, and we've talked about that in the past, how we've enabled cloud-based cybersecurity. Uh, but I'll talk about AI and ML, artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities. Uh, we have increasingly utilized artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, specifically things like anomaly detection, things like natural language processing, things like uh, using algorithm-based decision support systems. Uh, and those have been all very beneficial for us in the critical time that we've had to uh, scale up uh, in unimaginable ways over the last year and a half plus. Further, we've also continued to build on a zero trust architecture foundation. Again, uh, as uh, we've talked in the past, uh, back in 2019, I led the, the CDM or the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation 90-day Modernization Effort with the DHS CDM program. And that's when we had uncovered some of the issues around the core for C zero trust, which is identity. And so let me just give you a very quick example around what the issues we were uh, grappling with together back in 2019 is identity around individuals. Obviously that's a kind of a, a clear element, but there's also identity around the IT assets. And specifically in the cloud world, uh, you have your IT assets or virtual machines that are probably ephemeral. And so there was not really a cloud model for identifying uniquely those virtual assets. So back then when I led this initiative, working with the CDM program team, uh, we defined the model for uniquely identifying uh, all cloud-based uh, uh, virtual machine uh, identifications. And so that foundation we've continued to build on and we hope to continue to you know, accelerate some of the implementation of those solutions as we go forward. So no doubt to that preemptive work has really paid off as you start to stack some weight on that. Uh, on that type of capability. And Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you're happy. I'm sure, uh, well, we're all happy that uh, you were able to do that. Rob Brown, how about over at uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services? You know, while uh, while Brian and crew are laying the tracks down and sort of put the Autobahn in place, you know, you and your your your, your team of, uh, of warriors are in Ferraris just screaming across it. Uh, tell us about some of the things that are going on over there that you've been able to put in place that you are putting in place thinking about where uh, CIS is going undoubtedly with this new administration and all this emerging policy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Good to see you. And uh, Brian, awesome. Uh, definitely partnering with Brian. I think, uh, you know, we've, we're at a stage now where we're looking at, at partnering with Brian and, and other components and looking at an innovative approaches truly to governance, to standards, so that uh, we're not driving ourselves with those Ferraris into the ditch. Um, minimizing the rogue activity um, and becoming a little bit more mature in how we're delivering products, not just applications and services, but also data products. Um, that's manifested itself in some good technology, really in establishing data lake houses and data meshes, um, and really starting to share that data in various ways with our sister agencies or components. For example, doing zero copy data sharing within the cloud, doing federated clusters for real-time streaming, as well as consolidating all of our API products so that they're exposed, not just for external entities, but most importantly right now, again, for our sister components so that we can do things like person-centric, 
so we can share asylee and refugee data with CBP, ICE, and others, um, as opposed to you know leapfrogging a lot of this antiquated technology of SFTP stuff or doing direct connect nonsense and really trying to move forward with an API or real-time streaming approach. Some of the other areas uh, that, you know, from, from really from a CIS perspective and, and moving forward is how do we really take human-centric design and make it a first-class citizen? Uh, not only for all of our customers looking for benefits, but also for the adjudicators doing a lot of that work and speeding up the time to adjudicate. Um, a lot of this gets manifested in, again, just good, true human-centered design and starting to set, again, some of those standards so that we minimize a lot of the swivel chair, we minimize a lot of the, the um, back and forth that may occur or the confusion that may occur as folks are applying for a benefit um, and then trying to get status updates on where they stand and where they need to go and appointments and things of that ilk. Um, on the back end, we've invested heavily in looking at domain-driven design with a core of event-driven architecture. Uh, really, you know, taking microservices, uh, breaking them down into the right business functions, aligning the right business functional areas to the right technology stacks, and really laying, to your point, really laying a lot of those foundational pipes so that we can just deliver faster and we're minimizing the amount of back and forth and swirl with our business counterparts um, moving forward. So again, getting out of the Truman era of, uh, of uh, immigration and delivering those benefits to truly digitizing on the front end, but also on the back end and for our adjudicators. That user-centered design, that customer experience, that subject continues to come up and that's what it's all about, right? Let's start it from the customer's point of view, work our way backwards and introduce all this great technology. Jonathan Album, uh, you are in a probably the most unique situation uh, of all of the panel members here. You were a cabinet level CIO. You did a whole bunch of other jobs. You're now in a position to talk to a lot of those CIOs and the CTOs. You're kind of seeing it from a lot of different dimensions. What are you seeing out there and uh, from, from a strategic point of view about how the CTO is aligning themselves and examining and forging technology and, and, and making sure that the, the right technology is there at the right time? Well, um, Luke, great question. And, you know, I think, you know, the answer is uh, representative of a lot of what we, we've already heard. The, um, the idea that uh, we're in the space now of digitization of processes on the front end and the back end is a very consistent theme. And one of the things that continues to come up in conversations that I have is in a, a post-COVID environment where we had to very rapidly digitize a lot of capabilities, um, coming back now and thinking about um, will our organizations be able to operate in the long term based on the changes that we made? Are those changes sustainable? Do we have um, the right security in place, so on and so forth? And people looking for the opportunity to do what I, I call a strategic pause and uh, essentially an assessment to determine the best way forward. You know, in a lot of cases, um, you know, that conversation pivots into, you know, what are um, tools that can help speed that digitization and uh, low code, no code capabilities continue to come up as being very important, uh, uh, largely because it can uh, democratize that application development role in agencies and push some of these responsibilities and opportunities you know, into, into business units. And you know, occasionally we'll hear the term citizen developer. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that 
is the right term in the, in the federal government. I've heard other people call it delegated developers, but really it's this idea that inside our organizations, uh, we can expand uh, the field, expand the number of players who can support the digitization everyone is, is, is describing. And if, you know, we do it right, we're going to be able to meet agency needs that have been unmet for a long time. We know that there are more applications needed today than there were uh, a year ago. And a year from now, there'll be even more that it's growing very quickly. And we don't necessarily have to manage all of these uh, development processes inside our IT organizations, but we do need to have, you know, some good governance and some good, um, good models that can be followed. And I think that's where, you know, these CTO offices and other aspects of IT have a, have a big role because, you know, we have to pick the right technologies, pick the right platforms, understand the automation opportunities, and then push those things out in a way that they can be utilized by people that might not, you know, be IT professionals, but, you know, they're, they're IT savvy. And, you know, often I think about the, um, this, this uh, future of these pro developers and, um, you know, low code developers, business, business analysts working together to do, you know, really big, complicated things. And if we're, we're doing that, we can be more focused, I think, on the high value work over time. Um, you can't forget the change management, um, the, the people that are going to use these applications, whether they are, uh, you know, people who benefit from the programs of the government or federal employees or other members of, uh, you know, our extended team serving uh, citizens or other agency customers. So we have to uh, not look at the technology simply as a panacea that if I buy a platform or buy a capability, I can, I can um, quickly uh, digitize and change the way I work. It's, uh, you know, digital transformation is, is a real team sport. I think, again, COVID um, was a rapid accelerator of this. We, I think we've all sort of come to that conclusion right now. And the places that I've seen where it was done best, it was done with a, um, you know, a team approach. And, you know, we, you know, include operations and others in that as well. These, once these applications are built, they need always, to always a team effort there, undoubtedly. And I want to make sure that whatever uh, box we put them in or, you know, framework, it's also very secure, which is an added benefit there. Gary, how about overhead Atachi? Uh, you've got, a, once again, a perspective across their, uh, a lot of federal agencies. What are you seeing out there? Well, I think what we're seeing is, you know, we've heard about this data explosion for years and years, unstructured data. And with the advent of the AI ML strategies, now people can start to leverage all that data. Um, and, and I think what they're finding is, is, in many cases, we got into a space where, we would delete data because we didn't think it had any value anymore. So now we're starting to look at now all that data would have been really important. So now we're starting to curate data. And what we're having challenges with is, is defining that data management strategy in the context of these AI ML discussions. Because as we drive more and more data into these models, they become much more effective and much more accurate. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of discussion around, you know, how do I get data to the right place at the right speed and the right time, um, and then keep it there and, and understand how I catalog it and, and look at the metadata around that data. Because a lot of times what they're looking at is the metadata, not necessarily the object itself. Um, and I think I've heard, you know, we've heard that from all the other CTOs is this AI ML strategy. Almost every single one of them mentioned they had an AI uh, ML initiative going on. Um, and I think the other, when you look at that data is at the core of that. And I think people are also looking at hybrid cloud adoption uh, 
methodologies, if you will, because everyone has pushed a lot to the public cloud, but they still have a lot that's on-prem. So I think it's looking at the right cloud strategy as it relates to that hybrid cloud approach, because I think that's where everyone's going to end up. You're going to have some on-prem or you know, what would be a private cloud, uh, and then there's going to be quite a bit in the public cloud. So it's, it's getting that data management strategy between those various clouds as well. Right, it's definitely a blend, definitely a mix, and uh, no doubt the AIML is in play. And a lot of these products and goods and services that the uh, agencies are buying have AI and ML embedded in them. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Hitachi Vantara Federal is built to support your mission and vision. We empower federal agencies in the digital domains that matter most, the data center, tactical and strategic data operations, and digital transformation. We bring together an unmatched portfolio of edge to core to cloud infrastructure, AI, and analytics that enable our customers' digital missions and propel our nation forward. Let us accelerate your data journey from infrastructure to advanced analytics. Contact Hitachi Vantara Federal today at HitachiVantaraFederal.com. Equinix is the world's digital infrastructure company. Government's digital leaders leverage our trusted platform to bring together and interconnect the foundational infrastructure that powers their success and missions, thus enabling agencies to speed the launch of digital services, deliver world-class experience, and multiply their value. Learn how Equinix can help your agency reach its mission goals. Visit equinix.com forward slash solutions forward slash federal government. For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about, uh, well, we've got the chief technology officers here, and we're talking about all things technology. And right now we're uh, just finishing up our lining up our, our strategic discussion. I want to throw it over to you, Cal, at Equinix. Once again, you, you've got a perspective there where you're seeing this activity going on across a lot of different agencies in the private sector as well. Uh, give us a, a glimpse of uh, what it's looking like and how what you're doing at Equinex is lining up to strategically what they're attempting to do as an agency. Yeah, hi, thanks, Lou. Uh, hi, everybody. So uh, artificial intelligence, as uh, a lot of the other speakers have mentioned, is something that we are definitely seeing across uh, many agencies. And let me just uh, quickly illustrate what's happening in that space, which is uh, new and interesting. So historically, artificial intelligence has been there since 1950s. Uh, and in the first wave of artificial intelligence, uh, experts used to enter the rules into the system explicitly. And those systems were brittle because they couldn't handle a lot of pondered cases. Then the next generation of AI came where you have the era of big data and statistical techniques now had enough data to meaningfully you know, give predictions. Then uh, the advent of GPUs, which were used for graphical processing unit, now can be used to do actual crunching of the data. And, and, and so that really you know, uh, made, and the advent of clouds made AI mainstream. But now what's happening is that most organizations are realizing that they, on average, like 75% of enterprise applications are using around 10 external data sources. So they are realizing that all the data is not within their four walls. 
So they have to go and get data from outside. And there are many organizations that want to monetize their data also. And this is not just happening within, uh, between different companies, even within different departments in the same organization, data sharing is becoming extremely critical and they don't have good ways to do it because people don't want to part with their raw data. So that's first thing, how to do data sharing. We are seeing a lot of demand for that. And the second thing we are seeing is that AI is becoming distributed. It's not just moving data, massive data sets into a cloud, building your AI model, and then inferencing that model there. What we are finding is that AI now, you build the model in one location, and then you move that model to a different location close to the edge for inference. And people have started to leverage cloud native technologies, uh, like you know, distributed Kubernetes, uh, to actually orchestrate and federate the movement of AI models from one location to the other. And Equinix, we are heavily involved in both because our legacy is being the neutral location where the clouds and networks come to interact with each other. So now that's the same location people are actually putting what they call as AI marketplaces. Uh, so that's where you bring in your data and algorithm between different groups and you trade how to do that. Uh, so we are seeing the advent of AI marketplaces and we are also seeing the actual distributed core edge architectures getting deployed at Equinix and they're leveraging our Equinix fabric to you know, connect, interconnect all these distributed locations. Rob, give us an example of a, of a technology that you all did some forging on, some, some, some uh, examination, uh, testing, rolled it into production. And then, uh, you know, what, tell us about the results of that, right? What were the, uh, you know, I always like to hear the sort of, so what, all right? So we put this technology in, what happened once, once we did it? Yeah, absolutely, Luke. Um, I'll go uh, stick with the data theme and data products, really. Um, and I think that's to me is critical, at least from where we sit, is is continuing to focus on products and data is like anything else. It's just a product. Um, some of the technologies that we've been really partnering with, really the creators, uh, for the past probably four or five years, um, has been looking at Spark, looking at Delta, looking at uh, AutoML, looking at Redash. Um, these have provided a very good platform uh, and ecosystem for us to manage data. Um, looking at you know, CDC from all of our sources and streaming that data so that we can then make it actionable so we can then do data engineering and then ultimately start to intelligently use and leverage algorithms to make better sense, predictions, what have you, of that data. So we have, we've actually partnered with not only the creators of Kafka to do a lot of the streaming, we also partnered with the creators of Spark um, so that they get a better understanding of what we wanna do so we can understand the tech and then ultimately start to democratize it to not just technicians, but moving forward, actually leveraging it. So we talk about low code, no code and citizen development. My goal is to really do data as a service for individuals in the field so that they can simply become their own data scientists with this platform and ecosystem of data. So we've already started to realize that those benefits over the past two years going into the field, showcasing how folks can leverage this technology, um, training them on how to use this technology. And now we've got folks essentially being citizen development um, data product uh, producers um, in various facets of our organization. 
you've, from just creating simple business insights to now all other areas and pockets of our organization doing essentially data science as a service for themselves and creating real products that have a value and meaning. Some of this has to do with entity resolution or network analytics. Some of it has to do with just NLP or text analytics. Um, so we, we've actually had quite a few of these things in production, leveraging this technology. And then again, I think it, what makes sense from an organization and uh, you know, as, well, as we move out and expand to, as I say, our other sister agencies, is we can start to build this catalog of digital products, not just the output, but also how we start to make these digital products, those algorithms that we can share and reuse, the actual ground truth data sets that can be, again, reused or um, emboldened so that we can make better sense of it. So we've actually, again, huge success in just working with, um, with our production folks in the service center operations, in our uh, field operations directorates, and then with risk and fraud and our CDO teams. Gary, how about over at Hitachi? Uh, can you give us an example, one specific example there of uh, where you've seen this technology be implemented and the outcome from it? Well, I think uh, we're seeing some of these technologies being implemented in some of the what you environments that we're used to doing with a lot of data, HPC environments that were, you know, used to dealing with petabytes and petabytes of data that they were crunching through. And everyone is taking advantage of kind of that learning and that technology and that approach to that data set um, in the other agencies. Uh, so we have quite a few implementations in the labs where they're using you know, this, you know, a, a parallel file system, if you will, to enable high-speed data access to run these models and, and leveraging things like GPU direct to keep, to keep the data close to that application processing. So I think it's leveraging those technologies. We see a lot of agencies leveraging, leveraging not only our technology, but other industry technologies in, in the market to, to fix these common data management and solutions or challenges. Yeah. Sanjay, how about over at SBA? I'm sure you've got a, a great example of uh, where you all were able to forge some technology, put it into, uh, into the, uh, the business line and solve some of those big problems you're having over there or we're having. Absolutely. Let me give you uh, two quick ones, and I believe uh, very quick ones and hopefully very resonating ones. So SBA.gov is our primary portal to the outside world. Um, you know, a few years ago, we had actually migrated it uh, away from an on-premises world to a cloud environment. But more importantly, we'd gone sure. to a serviceless architecture, and we'd also moved uh, to, you know, use of microservices. So back in April last year, the president tweeted SBA.gov, and within the blink of an eye, uh, the number of concurrent users went up by over 150 times uh, within seconds. Given that this was already set up in an auto-scaling environment, um, the site just auto-scaled in near real time, uh, no blimps, uh, performed smoothly. Um, but the, the most important aspect of this is because this was a primary portal to the world. We could not afford this to be underperforming and certainly not being available at all. Another quick example that we talk about is very quickly is about uh, the cloud-based cybersecurity I'd mentioned earlier. So uh, back in, again, last uh, March, I was looking at, uh, we have full visibility into all of our incoming traffic, all of our assets and all of these things, regardless if people are remote or not. And we've had that for many years. So one of the things I was looking at was a portal of uh, incoming traffic into all of our portals. And I noticed that there was traffic coming from overseas, knowing that these programs were designed for the continental United States, uh, we implemented geofencing. 
Simply put, what it did was blocked any traffic which was not originating from the continental United States. And yes, some of the you know um, uh, sharper folks might say, well, it's easy to spoof your traffic. Yes, it is, uh, no, no doubt about it. But uh, for the basic bad actor out there, perhaps it's a little too, one too a big a hurdle to climb up and, and try and spoof that traffic. But so in terms of a mission impact, we basically block traffic which uh, could have you know submitted applications or maybe had other bad intentions. Uh, clearly, the SBA has been in the crosshairs of all of the bad actors globally, and, and we just have to make sure that we are hopefully half a step ahead of them. And you're doing a fine job of that. Jonathan, how about, uh, can you give us uh, one quick example where you've seen something coming out of the lab, so to speak, into production, and, and sort of what was the outcome of that? Sure. So, you know, um, I, I was talking about low code capabilities uh, before, and, you know, we we've worked with a number of law enforcement agencies and, you know, we found that um, oftentimes, uh, you know, investigators have a lot of point solutions that they have to uh, deal with and it's difficult to or listen, like to deal with. Right. Uh, difficult to um, understand the complexity of, uh, of an investigation or how to move forward. So, you know, we use the low code capabilities um, with uh, w- one of these uh, law enforcement agencies to, you know, create a tool to help them track cases uh, more seamlessly, um, create a unified view that allows um, agents and officers and leadership to see the status of the case. Uh, we gave investigators a lot of control to schedule their own um, appointments and track the status of their work. Uh, we did this in a mobile-friendly way. We, you know, we recognize you got to meet people where they are. Investigators in the field, they they need to work off of different kinds of mobile devices. And um, you know, adding on top of that, uh, you know, connections back into the ServiceNow platform for asset management, for tracking evidence, for tracking other assets, and also dynamic scheduling capabilities, giving, um, uh, you know, giving them and uh, leadership the ability to assign and reassign cases based on um, proximity, uh, we found to be very important, along with reporting and analytics that are in our platform, but easily wired into a low-code application to ensure that everyone's got the right information, can make good management decisions and good on-the-ground decisions about how an investigation is proceeding. What are the next steps to to move that investigation forward? Super important uh, when when they're uh, in the the thick of it, uh, fighting the good fight, if you will. Uh, Brian Campo, uh, can you give an example of where you all had sort of cooked something up over there laid it down, and then we were able to unlock this capability across the uh, department. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll, I'll kind of harken back to what Cal and Rob were talking about on the data side. I think um, you know some of the things that we're trying to do at the department level to support data and to support the work that Rob's trying to do with you know, streaming data and, and getting more analytics and, and more insights out to the, uh, to, the, to the mission space is, you know, at the department level, we're trying to figure out how do we fuse data? How do we bring data from USCIS uh, CBP, FEMA, ICE, you know, how do we bring all of this data together, make it valuable, give all of our component agencies a chance to use it, um, let them figure out what they want to do with it, make it easy and available to them, but most of all, do it in a consistent manner. And that's what Cal was talking about, where you've got data that, you know, maybe each individual component doesn't own, but they need to figure out how to synthesize information from it. Um, so that's one of the things that we're trying to do at the, uh, at the department level. Um, you know, with our recently stood up chief data officer, we're, we're building out these data governance principles. We're, mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out what our data catalogs look like across the department and really trying to figure out how does data relate across these very disparate um, you know, data sets, um, consistent data elements, 
understanding you know how all of our components are going to use it and then most of all understanding sort of what the what the citizenry wants how do we how do we support those citizen developers how do we give them the data so that they can do things that we wouldn't even be thinking about so you know at the department level we're really trying to figure out how do we support our component uh, and citizenry to uh, to give them the data they need to uh, to be able to support us give them the data at the right time at the right place and the CDO once again another or uh, entity where it's like, you know, well, what's that? All of a sudden, you know, hey, this is a uh, really important uh, uh, position in every agency and hats off to Mike Horton for being uh, selected on that job over at DHS. All right, uh, Cal, how about, uh, we're talking about data right now. You gave a bunch of examples. Give us one example of where you've seen this being implemented, whatever uh, technology you wanna choose uh, sure. uh, to, to sort of uh, enable these agencies mission. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, currently uh, we are working with our partners on something called Analytics Anywhere. Mm. And it has uh, three main attributes uh, uh, that we have built together. And, and basically the whole major premise is that data has gravity. So if, if, if petabytes of, or terabytes of data are getting generated at the edge, you cannot move that data to some central location to do the processing. So you have to now, the world is changing. Instead of moving data to compute, you have to move compute to where the data resides. Mm. And, and so what we are leveraging is something called as federated AI. So that keep, remember that word federated AI. So what federated AI lets you do is let basically move compute to where the data is residing, process that data, and let's just move model insights to a central location and aggregate that. So it gives you, privacy benefits because you're not shipping your raw data out of your four walls, as well as cost production. You're not backhauling all that data to a central location. So that's the first major attribute of this analytics anywhere. Second uh, key uh, attribute is the marketplace that I already mentioned. So this actually is a marketplace. Think of it where providers of data, providers of algorithms, and even providers of AI pipelines like Kubeflow, et cetera, you can register those and then buyers can come and actually get smart contracts and then actually say, okay, I'm going to use this data for so many days and then actually run their algorithms, create the model, and then they can take the model out of this secure marketplace sandbox, which is secure Kubernetes cluster, and they can use it in their production environments. So, so the whole idea of marketplace is the second key part of the solution of analytics anywhere. And the third one is basically uh, what everybody has already mentioned, no code and low code, because end of the day, um, you know, we believe that you, know, you have to democratize AI, otherwise subject matter experts, it's taking them too long. And, and so all of this is now hosted at a location like Equinix, which is well interconnected to the different data sources, public clouds, private data centers, the edge. So this is the new solution that we have brought. It's called Analytics Anywhere, and we are experimenting with many agencies. Yeah. Fantastic. Sounds awesome. Well, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people. 
Equinix is the world's digital infrastructure company. Government's digital leaders leverage our trusted platform to bring together and interconnect the foundational infrastructure that powers their success and missions, thus enabling agencies to speed the launch of digital services, deliver world-class experience, and multiply their value. Learn how Equinix can help your agency reach its mission goals. Visit equinix.com forward slash solutions forward slash federal government. Hitachi Vantara Federal is built to support your mission and vision. We empower federal agencies in the digital domains that matter most. The data center, tactical and strategic data operations, and digital transformation. We bring together an unmatched portfolio of edge-to-core-to-cloud infrastructure, AI, and analytics that enable our customers' digital missions and propel our nation forward. Let us accelerate your data journey from infrastructure to advanced analytics. Contact Hitachi Vantara Federal today at HitachiVantaraFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking to all the CTOs or a lot of the CTOs across the community, both our partners and in the agencies. And right now we're talking about a specific example. I'm going to go up to you, Ron, at Department of Justice. Give us an example of something that you uh, sort of brought out of the, uh, the lab, if you will, rolled it into uh, production. So I uh, love to hear love to hear all the examples. I think I'm going to build a little bit on the theme from the data side. We've seen sure. improved data sharing and the use of geospatial technologies during national events and for investigations. So GIS and data has long been an important capability and something I've been involved with. But awareness has really grown sort of really across the federal sphere uh, since the Geospatial Data Act came out. So our geospatial strategy is an extension of our overarching data strategy. And I'm lucky to be one of the tri-chairs for our community of interest with two geospatial experts from our components. Uh, they help to ensure that we have a thriving community that shares our practices, identifies resources, and honestly, they're good partners with each other. They really share new use cases that really gets everyone thinking. Uh, and this year, we even hosted our second uh, really well-attended geospatial showcase. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, Ron. I really do appreciate that. We're going to go to priorities. I'm going to start with you, Sanjay. Top priority for you right now for this year. Uh, top priority is improving customer experience. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but for us, it means specifically being able to reach the underserved communities. Um, you know, all of our programs that we're delivering on behalf of the nation's economic recovery initiative, uh, they need to get to the underserved communities. So all of the technologies we've talked about across the panel here today, any or all of them are being focused around trying to deliver better improved customer experiences and specifically being able to get to the underserved communities. Fantastic. Brian Campo, top priority for you at DHS. Yeah, I think uh, Sanjay hit the nail on the head. I think it's a combination of uh, customer experience and faster delivery. You know, for us, it's all about trying to reduce the burden that we put on uh, all of our customers, which would be, you know, citizens, other partners around the, uh, the federal government, trying to understand their needs a little bit more, trying to understand a little bit more about how we can get them information and capability quicker, and then just delivering that capability more often, right? Figuring out ways to get capability through the, the ideation phase, through the requirements phase, and out to the customers as quick as possible. Things like SecDevOps, uh, UI, UX, customer experience management, stakeholder management, um, all of those things are really what we're focused on, and they kind of go across the board. Focus on that citizen. Focus on that farmer, that operator, a small business owner, the adjudicator. I love it. 
Uh, speaking of adjudicator, Rob Brown, top priority for you over at Citizenship and Immigration Services. Definitely human-centered design uh, as the, at the forefront. To be more specific, looking at uh, learning and smart services, so dynamic platforms, um, smart decision automation, um, managed recognition, more of the connected edge systems that we could take advantage of, um, more of the voice, visual, activated workflows are some of the areas we're really focusing on with, again, with the backdrop of human-centered design and customer experience. That as well, coupled with AI and ML plus adaptive services. So ultimately looking at 100% AI or bot-facilitated call centers as an example. Um, again, data as a service, uh, as our staff adjudicators, as well as our customers um, are more tech savvy and demand more of us. Uh, so we wanna make sure we're ahead of that. Automated pre-adjudication. And then really AI and ML embedded in all delivery and software to again, provide a more robust experience. All packaged together for a great experience. Sounds awesome. Ron, how about over Department of Justice? Top priority. So loving what I'm hearing. So people advancing data and the AI strategies, the cyber EO, and continuing to insert modern technologies like cloud, IDPs, comms, zero trust brokers, low code, advancing computational capabilities, edge computing. Great list out here today. I All of us on, on deck. Thanks, Luke. Fantastic. And, you know, really seeing the uh, the extraction above the line of these technologies and, and again, out of the pliers and wires kind of conversation, focusing on the uh, the user experience. Jonathan, one priority that you see for service. I think, I, I think the priority is bringing these different technologies together in a form of uh, hyper automation. All of these things we've talked about, whether it's uh, AI or uh, robotic process automation, workflow. These are all great individual tools. It could do a lot for an agency, but I think it's really a better together story. When you bring it all together, you can, you're limited only by your imagination in a lot of ways about how these different pieces can, these different technologies can work together to change the way your agency um, operates. I think, you know, we can move this idea of, of automation you know, really um, away from, uh, you know, a, pro a single processor function, but to end-to-end -end, uh, digital processes that work across an agency and take, a, take uh, people's focus away from the administrative tasks and mundane kinds of things to the higher value work that um, we, should all be, we should all be focused on. So we're talking a lot about that and, and seeing um, activities across a wide variety of organizations. Stitching it all together. Okay, we're gonna have to wrap it up to this last question. I'm gonna ask Cal, if you wanna throw in your top priority, uh, you, can, you can go ahead and do that along with, uh, tell us what it's gonna look like uh, over the next couple of years. What's the demand signal out there? What do you guys got in the Petri dish? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, there are two top priorities we are, we are uh, actually yeah, focusing on. One is uh, data governance and data management. Uh, and the second one actually is 5G. We, we are looking at the implications of 5G and, and on the architecture, end-to-end uh, -end architecture that uh, Jonathan was talking about. And uh, with respect to what are some of the things that I think how this technology can help uh, in the vision for the future, uh, let me give you some very concrete examples. Uh, I know... Um, a student of mine in Sunday school, she has a cancer. And, and in, in Stanford, they said that uh, they cannot diagnose that because there's not enough data for them to figure out what's the cure. Uh, so the family has moved to Houston to get better treatment, 
but they're finding there is not enough data sharing across different organizations to find a cue for that. So the vision of this data sharing and this AI ultimately is to help for scenarios like that. There were senior citizens in our neighborhood who were asked to evacuate for because there was fire in the neighborhood, but in reality, the fire was a little bit farther away. So there was again, lack of data sharing between the different organizations. So in future, I believe uh, with proper you know, managed data sharing, we can really help humanity. And, and, uh, and I think that's the direction we are going and that's what we're working towards. Right data to the right uh, individuals at the right time. Sounds awesome and uh, really looking forward to that. Thank you for that. Gary, can you give us uh, your top priority? And then again, what does it look like around the corner over the horizon? What's the demand signal that you all are seeing? Yeah, I think it's just continuing that kind of data management. One of the things that I'm keenly focused on is educating our customers and our, our government partners to let them know that we're more than just kind of block storage, which is what a lot of people historically have thought about us. We have a broad end-to-end -end data portfolio that we can help with the AI ML. We can help them with data management. We can help with cloud modernization. So a lot of it is around that education and, and letting them know that, hey, we're more than just, you know, flash technology that's that's resilient and very performant, but we, we do have that broad portfolio that we can help bring to bear on those data challenges. Yes, um, you know, super important flash technology, but uh, all these other activities, uh, uh, including awareness, super important as well. Jonathan, uh, what are you all seeing there? What are you cooking up in the Petri dish over there at ServiceNow that uh, is going to need to be available to the uh, community in the next couple of years? Jonathan, there you yep. go. Here I am. All right. Uh, I, I think uh, again, it's 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 this idea of these uh, disparate technologies, but being brought together on a single platform. And you know, one of the things that we're very proud of at uh, ServiceNow is that you know our platform is 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 we think unique because it's a single technology. It's one architecture. It's one database. But core to the platform are the AI capabilities, uh, RPA capabilities that we've uh, recently acquired, um, as well as visibility tools. And when you have all of those capabilities in one place um, in, in, in one database, you can do a lot of um, unique things very quickly and um, with uh, less operational risk because you're, you're dealing, you're not dealing with the, the complex uh, integration of different tools. We can bring together the data across um, the systems of record that, you know, we know we need for end-to-end -end workflows and, and different, different business processes um, available with the technologies that are core to the ServiceNow platform, you know, sets a, sets a foundation for real digital transformation. Sure, and uh, a super important uh, aspect of, of this whole journey that we're all on. Rob Brown, you, uh, you mentioned that you're working closely with folks that are developing uh, different types of software to make sure you get your needs and requirements put in there. But undoubtedly, I know you, you're also working with folks that are still thinking and designing things. Uh, what's it looking like out there? What are you guys uh, cooking up in regards to things that you know are gonna be needed during this immigration lifecycle journey? So again, it's uh, the real core and what we've been looking at more and more is just full digitization. How can we do more pre-adjudication? How do we get out of the business of static code workflows and business rules to make them more dynamic and event-driven? These are some of the areas and some of the technologies we're looking at, a lot of which is, is pretty cutting edge, alpha and beta. 
um, and then trying to um, leverage that across the various delivery divisions that we have at CIS. Um, and I'd be remiss to say that part of that is going back to what you know, Brian and I are working on, on that innovative technical governance is looking towards having developer portals, not just for the folks that we contract with and the, the experts, but these developer portals that can, that can provide those libraries and those frameworks almost in a push button manner to build that unified pipeline that essentially is ATO. So we're looking at not only these technologies to help the mission, but also to provide those standards governance in a very innovative way um, to enable faster delivery, uh, a little bit cleaner methods of building those pipelines. Um, and we've, we've partnered again with, one group we partnered with was, is with Spotify to understand how they do development. With microservices, it's a sprawl. So we're trying to understand how we can bring, bring the reins back in mm -hmm. and start to really capitalize on what we've built and reduce some of that redundancy. And put so some years we're looking at. Yeah, and put some framework and structure together. And it's almost like you're franchising out some of that development, but there's some 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 context around it and uh, some security around it so, uh, so that it can be done safely. That sounds awesome. Sanjay, how about at uh, SBA? You all are, uh, are certainly on a journey there. there there's, there's no, uh, there's no uh, unmet demand that's not going to get a, a challenge over there. What are you looking at as far as over the next couple of years about how a small business owner is going to interact with SBA? Yeah, Luke, and I think one of the things we've been uh, laid the foundation a couple of years ago and we're looking to accelerate it is what I call is a 360 view of the customer, specifically the SBA customer. We have many touch points with our customers throughout various programs, and we tend to sort of have a siloed effort, uh, effort around it. And so we're saying, we understand a customer, the SBA customer, we should be able to you know, interact with this customer knowing what we've done or have worked with um, uh, in, the, in the past through our different programs. So that's one foundational element. And I think we are making progress, good progress around it in, in that dimension. But sort of going forward, uh, I know there was another aspect to your question about what's the future looking like? What's the vision? For me, it's basically six words. Think big, start small, iterate rapidly. So what does that mean? Uh, have a grand vision. You know, think big, look for the moon, look for the stars, look for the Mars of the world, look for the next galaxy. You have to have a grandiose vision. We got to start small in a very tangible manner, very specific manner, specific to the business, specific to the mission and demonstrate value to them. And as you're doing that, you're learning and then you're iterating through that. And then the sort of the final thought I would say is we have to be bold, we have to be confident and we got to challenge the status quo. Sure. Uh, my uh, professor used to say, you got to have a big, hairy, audacious goal, but at the end of the day, you got to put product on the ground as well. So it's a good blend there. Brian, how about over Department of Homeland Security? Uh, tell us what, you know, what's it looking like out there in a couple of years as you all continue on this maturity journey? Yeah, I think we're looking at a few different things. I, I think, um, you know, always trying to get out in front of technology is really what uh, CTOs do across the board. I think really we're looking at, um, you know, data as an asset. We are also looking at trying to, uh, you know, better leverage some of the, um, you know, the existing priorities. So, you know, we're always trying to mature our zero trust. I think uh, I've talked about in the past, you know, sort of our two-year forecast for zero trust. Um, you know, one of the things that, that'll be really interesting is bringing data into the zero trust fold. Um, you know, we're working now with the application owners starting to have some conversations about how do we make uh, data 
uh, more secure. So inside of applications, not only are we doing identity management, not only are we looking at how do we uh, you know, evaluate every request to an application, but now how do we actually start protecting the data in an application, even outside of uh, the application's permission. So you're starting to look at you know, some of our endpoints, some of our policy decision points, um, you know, even some of our uh, you know, specific evaluations of, uh, of security protocols, but applying that into the data so we make sure that um, you know, we get ahead of any attempts to uh, compromise systems and can actually protect the data uh, even outside of the, uh, the system that it's uh, owned by. A very delicate balance of trying to, to do the right things at a department level, unlock this capability, and then sort of step away, if you will, so the Rob Browns of the world can come in there and, again, drive those Ferraris down that track. I think it's really important. Sounds like you're striking a great balance there. Ron, how about over Department of Justice? Take us home here. What's it going to look like in a couple of years as you look across that, uh, that specter? I think there's a lot to be done. So... Uh, I think we need to put the people first, and I think Rob Brown said it great about the focus on the user experience. We need proper and effective data management, and we're going to do that through advancing our data strategy. This is going to enable the use, the appropriate sharing, and analytics, uh, and it's going to advance the value of the data. Brian Campo made some great points today on, on the data management side and the value of the data. We need to understand your users and, and data and how that will allow us to unlock our capabilities uh, for cybersecurity and innovation. And honestly, uh, Sanjay made some great points there also from my perspective. Examples include modern identity management, AI and analytics, zero trust, the importance of completing your transition to IPv6 and how we're gonna phase that in. Um, and we need to look at the computational capability. As Gary talked about higher performance computing and Cal uh, talked about the benefits of GPUs and computing on the edge, this is really important for analytics and insights, especially with the advancements of IoT and the enablement of 5G. Um, and we're gonna have to continue to work on increasing the speed of our developers. And looking at your development staff and the need for low code and no code, Jonathan made great points there really, really important for us to continue to involve our workforce in bringing them into the development process. There's a lot left to do, as I said, Luke, and it's gonna be uh, uh, an, an eventful journey as we move forward. Right, and it's uh, an evolution here, uh, keeping the, uh, the, the, the operator, if you will, in mind. Um, and, and we really do appreciate that. Well, I wanna thank all of you. I know some of you, uh, many of you personally, and I know what you do on a daily basis. And I just wanna say thank you for everything that you do, both on the, the partner side and certainly the federal service side. Um, uh, I'd like to thank the sponsors here for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, which is part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.